Welcome to the Cynical Podcast, the weekly discussion of current affairs in China, produced in partnership with SupChina. SupChina is the best way to keep on top of the latest news from China in just a few minutes a day through our free email newsletter or at our website, SupChina.com. Sign up for SupChina's premium access service for all sorts of extras, like a weekly top-level news roundup, early access to podcasts, and membership to our Slack channel, where you can tap into our digital newsroom directly and chat with reporters, editors, and our growing and lively community of members. I'm Kaiser Guo, and today I am in the beautiful city of Prague in the Czech Republic, where I've had a couple of very enjoyable speaking engagements. Uh, as some of you may know, here in the Czech Republic, one China story has absolutely dominated the news and much of conversation in the last couple of years, the mysterious China CEFC Energy Company, or as it's known in Chinese, Huaxin, and its relationship to Czech President Miloš Zeman and his coterie. The fast rise and faster, though not yet, total fall of Huaxin, of, of CEFC, has been a fascinating story, and we're going to explore that today. There's quite a cast of characters in this story, and we're going to walk you through that in this hour in more depth. Uh, there's CEFC's young chairman, Ye Jianming, who was detained, apparently, in February, and would appear now to be under investigation in China, and who is still at least officially an advisor to the president of the Czech Republic itself, Zeman. Zeman, of course, is, as I've noted, a central character in this story. But there's also a former Czech minister of defense, as well as the former Hong Kong home secretary, Patrick Ho, who is heading CEFC's think tank and is under indictment in the U.S. for paying large bribes now to two African countries, to Chad and to Uganda, uh, evidently on behalf of CEFC. Ho has pleaded not guilty, uh, but he remains in jail in New York as U.S. judges have denied him bail. And it just so happens that while I was here in Prague, yet more CEFC news broke. Uh, CEFC has a large debt to a Czech company called J&T. And after being unable to collect on that debt, the company moved on Thursday to oust CEFC from CEFC Europe, its Czechia-based operation, and to seize its assets. Uh, the result uh, was the ouster of yet another of these interesting figures, Yaroslav Tvrdik, that was awful. A former minister of defense, I mentioned, who was until very recently vice chairman of CEFC Europe. So today we're going to discuss how this whole CEFC affair is viewed here in Prague. Uh, we're going to talk about concerns over elite capture here, about what this whole debacle might mean with respect to China's Belt and Road Initiative. So with me here to talk about all of this is an old friend. Uh, listeners to the show may remember Martin Halla, who is Associate Professor of Chinese Studies at Charles University and director of Acamedia and its flagship project, Synopsis, which we talked about last time. Uh, Synopsis translates and summarizes news about China into Czech. Uh, Martin was in my neighborhood last year and joined us at the Seneca South studio in Durham to talk about China's 16 plus one initiative, which was you know, a configuration of Central and Eastern European countries, 16 of them, obviously, plus China, of course. We also flicked at CEFC during that show, uh, but now we get to dive in really deep. Martin, thanks so much for hosting me here and, and for taking the time to join us. Thanks, Kaiser, for, for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, so I should add that we would also have loved to have uh, Andrew Chubb for this show. Uh, depending on when this particular episode drops, you'll have heard him on the show either once or possibly twice recently. And we didn't want to overload you with Andrew, though you know he's been doing amazing work and is really, I guess, the first person, at least by my reckoning, to have drawn a lot of attention to this story in the English-speaking world um, as far back as, I think, seven years ago. Uh, you should check out his reporting and his commentary as well as really important translated pieces at his blog, which is southseaconversations.wordpress.com. Uh, just search for CEFC on that site. It's, it's really where much of my very limited knowledge about CEFC comes from. So uh, thanks very much, Andrew. Uh, let's get some background on the relationship between China and the Czech Republic first under the presidency of Miloš Zeman. Martin, first maybe tell us about Zeman himself. Uh, as I understand it, he's a former communist, is that right? Yeah, and that's he's correct, yeah. reinvented himself as a kind of populist nationalist. I mean, should we understand him as just basically in the same mold as Viktor Orban or as Donald Trump even? Um, or is that oversimplifying it? Well, you know, any comparison uh, ultimately is, is lacking in some respects, right? So he definitely is very much in that uh, line, like um, uh, Orban or, or, or Trump. But there are, there are also important differences, I would say. So he always presented himself as a left-wing person. So that's, that would be one of, the, one, of the, one of the major differences. But, you know, in, in his practical deals, 
in his day-to-day politics, you really would not know that difference. You would not do, you, you wouldn't know why he would necessarily wanted to call himself a leftist because his policies are just plain populist. Yeah, I mean, he's like anti-gay, kind of that that new sort of social conservatism, anti-immigrant. Very much anti-immigrant. Uh, you know, the the question is how much uh, of that is his real feelings and how much uh, he actually uses it just for political convenience. And what's your assessment? Uh, I would say the latter, probably. Yeah, just the sort of convenience. So he was a social democrat, right? In fact, he was uh, a former prime minister. I think in 1998, he was he served the term for four years as prime minister, right? Yes, that is correct. And that's also where many of the characters that now appear on the scene in relation to this uh, Czech-China relationship first appeared on this on uh, you know in his cabinet. Uh, and he has a, a he broke off and has a and he's no longer a social democrat. He started a new party it's called something like what the party of civic rights well the uh he didn't exactly start that party so that party was started by his uh, fans uh. and uh you know the 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 actual name is uh, kind of irrelevant because they used to call themselves zemanovci which is like you know uh, the derived Zemanov from his party. name and after they failed in one of these elections quite miserably he he sort of prevented them from using that using his name anymore so is he still actually a member of that party, though? I don't think he ever was. Oh, okay. That's what I said. I, mean, I think they, I was looking, they had no parliamentary seats. Right. They okay. were not yeah. particularly popular. And, and help me explain now, how is it that the, the, he was the first actually elected president, and how is it that in a parliamentary system, the president seems to have more power than the prime minister? Uh, he doesn't, you know. It's um, the, the problem is that the Czech uh, constitution is written in a, in a rather vague terms, and uh, there are, in, in, in many respects, there are no clear instructions what should be done, for instance, in, uh, in, in times of uh, parliamentary crisis or government crisis. So he uh, actually exerts uh, influence that is far beyond what the Constitution originally, I think, intended. I see, I see. So I guess I want to move into, you know, Chinese activity. Uh, how much Chinese activity was there in the Czech Republic prior to the Zeman presidency, which I guess began in 2012? Uh, that, yeah, that's correct. 2013, actually, early okay. 2013. So the, before Zeman came to the presidency, the, the relationship was sort of uh, stuck. Uh, it was very cold. It was uh, much influenced by the personal friendship that our first president, Václav Havel, had with the Tibetan Dalai Lama. So the Dalai Lama used to come here quite often, every year, basically. And, of course, that uh, didn't go down very well with uh, uh, the People's Republic. And then, so there was very little actual investment here. There was very little activity and... And as far as you can tell, no efforts to sort of influence Czech politics. Well, ironically, there was actually some some real investment in those years. You know, like uh, projects that would uh, set up um, production lines on uh, on, a, on a greenfield. Uh, like there's this one Chinese company, Changhung, uh, that's uh, relatively successful. That it produces uh, LCD monitors for export. So there was some real invest- investment that, ironically, we don't really see today. Right, and we'll get to what the na- nature of the current investment is in, in a little bit. So I understand that his foreign policy orientation, uh, Zeman's, has been very much eastward-looking. You know, he's pro-Russian as well as being pro-Chinese. Uh, I, I can't imagine that that would sit very well uh, with a very anti-communist intelligentsia here in Prague, where, I mean, you know, it's just 50 years ago this this coming. I mean, we're here in literally, you know, the, the 50th anniversary of the Prague Spring and this being spring. But I think you observe that in, in August, right, generally when the crackdown came, when the tanks rolled in. Uh, yeah, August 21st. Right. Um, but how, so I I'm, I think I've, I've met a lot of your, your colleagues uh, and I think I could, It'd be fair to describe them all as pretty all uh, very very anti-communist and very suspicious of Chinese intentions here. Uh, but what about ordinary Czech people outside of, of of the metropole? I mean, are they okay with this foreign policy orientation? Well, that's exactly the point. You you, you haven't met anybody outside of Prague and, right. and and the center of Prague at that right. And most of them were, you know, students at the university, so, so people of very special kind. If you did go out to the countryside, the uh, the mood would be would be uh, quite different. And first and foremost, the uh, the refugee crisis has really influenced the ideological landscape here. Even though we actually have no refugees here, but they loom large in people's um, 
minds um, you know the perception of threat is really high so that's that's one of the issues that uh, Zeman has actually used um, and exploited very skillfully yeah not surprised. I mean that's that's common to your neighborhood this is Hungary that's also in Poland and, and but Hungary does have refugees quite quite a few of them you know it was uh, it was actually at the brunt of the of the of the refugee crisis um, uh, a right. couple of years ago but we, we we don't so that's the difference um, Xi Jinping actually visited the Czech Republic here in in 2016, I believe it was. Uh, yes, it was yeah. 2016. Uh, let's talk about the greeting that he received from well from the Chinese here uh, and the protesters. A lot of people who who went there and were at the same time protesting Zeman and and protesting his close ties with with China. Yes, it was uh, it was a short visit, but it was quite emotional. It only lasted a few days, but uh, actually two days. But the the symbolic significance was was quite large. Uh, nothing of substance really happened during his uh, visit, but the um, you know the decorations, the, the the welcoming crowds, the organization of the reception of the Chinese president was in many ways uh, very provocative to a lot of Prague um, uh, citizens. Right. So what was the sort of, I mean, I, I understand there were incidents of violence. Yes. So, uh, you know, there's a, uh, we, we already talked about the, uh, the, the special position that the, the Tibetan Dalai Lama enjoys in the Czech Republic because of his uh, friendship with uh, Václav Havel and because he has been here so many times. So there's, a, there's actually a, well, a large community of people who care about Tibet. So on that occasion, of course, they were also out in force trying to, um, uh, you know, voice their opinion. And there were clashes with the, uh, with the welcoming party that uh, seems to have been organized by the Chinese embassy here. And some of them were actually quite violent and, and nasty. It was a little bit of a shock for people here in Prague who are not quite used to that sort of incidents. Right. Uh, one of the, the young people that I met told me that he had gone to that protest and brought a Uyghur flag and that he had been beaten by uh, protesters, by Chinese, ethnically Chinese protesters, I guess. Is, is that is that correct? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen this particular incident, but I, yeah, I've heard about it. Okay. And Zeman has really distanced himself from I mean, he's, he's actually on record describing these protesters as insane people, as crazy people, as a... Yes. Anyone who supports Tibetan independence. Yes. Uh, you know, that language didn't really help to... Uh, no, I can't imagine it would have. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the, the society here, is, uh, you have probably noticed, even though you've really only seen uh, one half of it, um, the, the urban population, educated population, the, the society here is quite polarized. And um, uh, President Zeman has actually been exploiting that. And the whole China issue also has become sort of a bone of contention that uh, contributes to this overall polarization. Yeah, that's very much my impression. And I, I wanted to, to set this up just by way of understanding the context into which now we introduce this company, CEFC. Um, this, the CEFC story here in the Czech Republic, it's not just a China story, I guess I'm, it's fair to say. It's, it's, it's a huge, it's a headline-dominating story, right, for across this in, in recent years. Uh, um, it's, it's become global. It's become pretty global. Yeah, right, right, right. But, but really, I mean, it, you know, when, when things happen here, it becomes uh, something that, that everyone is talking about. Is that right? Well, that's, uh, the, the interest in the CFC story is actually relatively recent. I, I mean, it's always been dominating, the, uh, to a certain extent, the, the discussions by the very fact that it's, it's, the, it's almost exclusively the sole carrier of, uh, you know, uh, what we might call investments with some caveat. And uh, the, the, the influence, including political influence, that comes with it. But the interest was really, you know, the, the huge spike in interest uh, was really only provoked with the disappearance of Chairman Ye. So okay. since, since that time... We'll, the, we'll get to that in yeah. just a bit. Um, but let's, let's, let's tell a little bit about the background of this company, CFC, as far as we know it, because it is fairly murky and mysterious. Uh, I mean, a tremendous amount of opacity still surrounds this company, and no one seems quite sure of its exact origins. The stories that that the young chairman Ye, Ye Jianming tells about it are not consistent. Uh, his own biography is quite inconsistent. Um, so, how did it rise? How did it become as large as it apparently did? Uh, and what do you really know about the chairman's background? 
Well, we, we know a little bit thanks to the efforts of investigative journalists in China. So there, there has been a couple pieces. Um, uh, the most recent one uh, in Skysin, that's very detailed. That was from March of this year, right? March this year. It was, it was uh, very helpfully translated by Andrew Chubb. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's got uh, international attention. The, the original Chinese article disappeared almost immediately from the web, but it's also, it's of course archived in all sorts of other sites, so it's available even now. And that article describes the company as a bit of a Ponzi scheme. Uh, yeah, yeah. Essentially borrowing money to, bor- to borrow more money and pretending that it had, uh, uh, you know, that it had uh, a huge volume of business, uh, which most of it apparently happened only on paper. And it was basically a trading company initially, is that correct? Uh, that seems correct, yes, according to these sources. But its focus has now been in energy. Yes. And it actually, in fact, made a bid to acquire Rosneft, or a, a significant share in Rosneft, uh, which, we'll, which we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, but I want to know, um, there have been a lot of suggestions that, that CEFC, or Ye Jianming himself, is tied uh, or closely associated with either the party or the PLA. Uh, what evidence for, for that is there? Well, you know, by definition, this is uh, difficult to prove one way, one way or another. But there are um, there are research papers that uh, suggest this with a strong uh, body of evidence. I guess the most detailed is this 2013 uh, paper by Project 2049 uh, that describes in some detail the connections to not only the army but uh, more specifically to the military intelligence. So, what did this what did this uh, Project 2049 report actually say about the the relationships between him and the military? It was not, you know, the relationship was not um, only uh, of Ye Tianming. The, the, the report basically described the relationship of a couple of people who are in the top organs of the, of the company who have had, through whatever channels, some connection with the, with, with the military intelligence and with the Chinese military. A lot of these contacts were through the uh, Chinese Associations for International Friendly Contact, for instance, where a lot of uh, these people seem to have... Uh, Landed after their military careers. Right, yeah. exactly. And there were other organizations as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a few years uh, old, the report, uh, but it's still an interesting read. Yeah, it's interesting that the uh, companies actually organized uh, it's it's leading bodies, for example. They take their names directly from party organs that they call themselves. You know, they have a standing committee. They have a central uh, committee commission for in- discipline inspection and, and things like this. Right? Yes. So you know uh, whether there is a documented uh, connection to the, uh, the to the party and army uh, is pretty much irrelevant because Ye Jianming himself has been declaring on a number of occasions that he, the company and himself follow very closely the, the, the state policies. So, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious that uh, the, the, the cooperation has been quite close. He, he plays up the coincidence of his surname and a certain general who was a Long March veteran. Uh, right. There was a lot of speculation about that, and I, I still don't know what to think about it. It seems to have been largely disproved. Yeah, you know, he doesn't seem to be Yet- Marshal Ye Tianying's uh, direct uh, or legitimate offspring, even though Marshal Ye Tianying, of course, was known for many wives. Being profligate. <laughs> right, exactly. So, so we don't, I, you know, we really don't know. And, uh, I mean, I, I guess he has himself tried to suggest that he has very strong ties. Well, he has actually been denying it on a... On a, on no, a no, but, but denying it a little too loudly. Just, right, exactly. Right. The lady protests too much. Right? Yes, exactly. Uh, so when did CEFC first start getting really active here in the Czech Republic? So they came here in the fall of 2015 when they went on this uh, rather spectacular shopping spree and in a short span of time, something like two weeks or ten days, they like bought everything they could uh, lay their hands on. What, what sorts of companies are we talking about? Or it, what sorts of assets? It seems quite random. So there was a, you know, there was a brewery, there was a football club. Um, uh, there was. Well, also, if I came here, I'd buy a brewery too. I mean, that seems like a very good business. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can enjoy you can enjoy the the great beer here without buying a brewery. That's true. Yeah. We, 
I, I have to say thank you for introducing me also to, to some of these um, profoundly <laughs> delicious beers. Here. My my pleasure, and I hope we'll be able to do some more of that. They also bought uh, this, um, or or rather bought a stake in this uh, media company, so that seems more uh, consequential. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but overall, most of these acquisitions seem rather uh, rather random. But the fact that it so it happened so fast and it was in such a spectacular way, you know, like buying one thing after another, and because it got a lot of uh, publicity, it definitely caught people's attention. So the overall impre- impression was that there's this rich Chinese investor who's coming with these endlessly deep pockets who's uh, now going to invest big time in, in the Czech economy. And in fact, you describe these, these investments as being rather, you know, not, not particularly meaningful and not contributing meaningfully to the to Czech development or to... The, to they're, they're essentially acquisitions. So, you know, nothing was really built. Every, you know, like uh, the ownership changed hands from, you know, from one hand to another. So uh, the, the, they're the not really investments. Acquisitions, I would right. call them. So the direct impact, macroeconomic impact, I would say, is uh, almost zero. And so he actually then became very quickly a, an advisor, an official advisor, a civilian advisor to President Zeman. And how has Zeman presented their economic activity here in, in, in Czechia? So uh, he was actually named the president's advisor even before the company came here, uh, already like half a year before that in the spring of 2015. Wow. But it was only made public after the, you know, after this shopping spree, because before that it would have been uh, a little bizarre because nobody ever heard of either CFC or Yetian Ming. So it, it made a little bit more sense after, you know, they bought a few assets here in, in, uh, in the Czech Republic and, and specifically in Prague. There was also a lot of real estate, actually, that um, that was bought during the first uh, wave of acquisitions. A so of a football club and a travel agency, right? And exactly. Hotels and uh, exactly. So, so uh, the Czech president presented CFC as this as this big investor from the east. Uh, you know, an, a, an opportunity, a possibility to diversify our economy from uh, the existing uh, ties. You know, because the Czech economy is actually very much tied to the German economic machine. There's a lot of uh, subcontractors uh, here, and about 80% of the exports go to the European Union. So, uh, you know, the, the 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 economic relationship is with with Western Europe, with the rest of EU, is fundamental, right? So now. There was this um, new narrative of diversifying uh, uh, towards China, huge opportunities, big investments. You know, billions of uh, dollars were announced to be invested. Uh, the presidential office even put put the list of uh, prospective projects on their website. Altogether, they added up to something like ninety billion crowns. Uh, it's about what would it, what would that be like? Uh, Four, four, four billion, four billion dollars, that that were supposed to be realized just in the very first year after after uh, Xi Jinping's visit in 2016. Of course, most of these projects were just MOUs, you know, and you know how you know how vague the MOUs can be in China. So uh, you know, a lot of that was never really meant to materialize, and and it didn't. So. All this talk about uh, Chinese investments has created these expectations, right? So people expected that there would be this massive wave of investment. Was this significantly weighted toward uh, projects that CEFC was directly involved in? Or are, are we talking about a lot of other sort of infrastructure investments and from companies unrelated to CEFC? It's uh, it was a mix mi- mixture of, of of everything, but CEFC always loomed very large in these uh, you know in this economic narrative, and also in the in the specific uh, implementation of uh, the the economic cooperation. For instance, uh, last year there was this new body created at the at the level of the Ministry of uh, Industry called um, the Czech-China Center for Cooperation on the Belt and Road, right? It was supposed to coordinate the the economic cooperation between the People's Republic and the Czech Republic. And even though this was supposed to be a ministerial organ, the day-to-day business was actually handed over to this Czech-China business chamber that was actually run by Mr. Tvrdík, who was simultaneously the representative of CFC here. You know, so it was was all very... uh, Self. Incestuous. Incest- you could <laughs> call it incestuous. No, I mean, I mean the, 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 for certainly flags would come up. If there were to happen anywhere, uh, people would be very suspicious that you have elite capture. 
Exactly. exactly. And, and, and is, is there pretty strong evidence that this is in fact the case? Well, that's one of the of the major aspects of uh, CFC's uh, activities here in the Czech Republic. So the economic footprint has remained quite minimal after that initial shopping spree. Nothing much really happened. So the the economic consequence of uh, CFC's activities in the Czech Republic is relatively small. But at the same time, they keep hiring all sorts of retired politicians and top civil servants who oftentimes simultaneously serve as advisors in some top governmental and constitutional bodies, including the presidential office and uh, the office of the prime minister in the previous government and, and a couple of ministries beyond that. These are people who are still serving, just to be clear. These are still serving. So they're still serving, serving as advisors. So, you know, however you under, understand that. So they're, they're usually, typically the profile would be a, a politician who lost his office. In his portfolio, el- right. His portfolio in elections. And then they would hire him and he would simultaneously be an advisor to, let's say, some minister or even the president. So Mr. Tvrtig himself is a typical example because he's, um, you know, he had the CFC Europe. At the same time, he was the, he still is, the China advisor to Mr. Zeman. And in the previous government, he was simultaneously uh, the China advisor to the prime minister. And on top of that, he runs this Czech China Chamber of Commerce that was actually in charge of the day-to-day business of this center of cooperation with China. So it's is, a, is this legal by Czech law? I mean, are you able to hold an advisory position with the sitting Czech government and have a board seat on a company where there's clear conflict of interest? Yeah, it would certainly sound like conflict of interest to me, but it, 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 it seems that there's no law that would specifically uh, prescribe that. Huh. That seems very dangerous. Hmm. Um, let's fast forward a little bit to the detention, apparently in February this year, of, of Ye Jianming, uh, which was actually preceded by the detention of another related figure. And let's maybe talk about him first. I mentioned him in the introduction, Patrick Ho. Uh, he was the former Home Secretary of Hong Kong. Uh, that was under under Tung's administration there. Uh, what did the arrest of Ye have to do with the arrest well, I don't think we can formally call it an arrest of Ye, but the detention of detention, Ye, the investigation of Ye. What did that have to do with the arrest of Ho in New York? Well, I think uh, it's uh, directly related to each other. So uh, uh, in November, Patrick Ho was arrested in New York. He was accused of bribing these top African politicians. And what followed was a huge embarrassment to not only CFC that was now uh, uh, accused of uh, large-scale you know, high-level corruption, but also to the Belt and Road Initiative, because there's been a close association between the the company, between CFC and the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, So um, I think the the whole company, CFC, became politically, became a political burden for... A liability. A liability, exactly. A liability. So that's one thing. And another thing is that this whole model of these, um, you know, quasi-private companies expanding abroad on the basis of credit from Chinese policy banks seems to have gone out of fashion in uh, in Beijing. Right. These are, let's just make sure we know, we were talking about Anbang and uh, HNA. Hainan Airlines. Right, you know, HNA. Right, exactly. Uh, Foswan, right. to some extent, Wanda. Um, right. Right. There's a whole bunch of them. So the, uh, the, the, the model is out of fashion. Basically, all of these companies are being investigated, including their leaders. So uh, in, in that sense, the, uh, the detention of uh, Ye Tianming was to be expected. But I think his personal condition had been made worse by the arrest of Patrick Ho and by this huge embarrassment that it caused to the Chinese leadership. Is that a good development then? Well, depends on how you look at it. I guess it's not very good for the chairman himself. <laughs> I'm guessing it's not. Um, what, what do we know about what happened actually in March? I mean, I, I understand that the word came out. Uh, it was sort of reported that he had been detained. He didn't make some meetings. And then I, I understand that Zeman dispatched a delegation, a quite high-level delegation to China to find out. Uh, and what did they find out? So he was detained uh, on the eve of the Chinese New Year. So, uh, you know, it's a strange, strange time to detain, detain people. I think that was probably meant to send a message. And the South China Morning Post reported from um, their sources that this was done at the direct instruction from uh, Xi, Jinping. Xi Jinping himself. 
uh, which would seem, if that's true, to support the, the notion that he had caused personal embarrassment to Belt and Road and uh, uh, by extension to, to uh, the general secretary himself. So he essentially disappeared, but he was still the advisor, the official advisor. He still is the official advisor of the Czech <laughs> president, right? So uh, the Czech president has, a, has, a, has an advisor, but he cannot find him. He cannot contact him. He doesn't quite know what's going on. The, the, he called the Chinese ambassador in Prague. She was not able to explain it either, you know, obviously, because this, is, this seems to be internal investigation run by very specialized organs. This is like not a public prosecution or anything like that. So he sends these three folks, you know, his, uh, advi- his, his two advisors, three advisors, actually, all of these people are his advisors, including Mr. Tverdik, uh, to China on a fact-finding fi- mission. They, you know, officially they were not looking for Mr. Ye Tianming. I think by that time they realized that they cannot really find him and that they cannot really even learn much officially about his uh, fate. But I think their main mission was to explain to, uh, uh, you know, the relevant authorities in Beijing that by cracking too hard on CFC, uh, the relationship with the Czech Republic might be affected and more specifically the position of uh, those people who have invested their political capital in the relationship like President Zeman himself. But this yielded nothing. They weren't given anything more than sort of an official announcement that he had, in fact, he was under investigation. It actually did yield one significant uh, fact. And uh, even though it may not have been directly related to their visit, it might have been organized before they came. But uh, these these emissaries, they came back to the Czech Republic announcing that uh, CFC Europe would be taken over by CITIC you know, the, the huge state investment company. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, uh, a significant development. That happened in, in April, and CITIC ended up taking over 49% of CEFC Europe. Except it didn't, because uh, meanwhile, uh, you know, other things have happened. And it also turned out that uh, CFC has borrowed quite a bit of money from a local banking group that they were simultaneously t- trying to acquire. But at the same time, they borrowed this money, something like a half a billion euros. This is J&T. J&T, exactly. And uh, that complicates the legal situation around CEFC. And that was the basis for the rather unexpected developments that we have seen during your very visit here. Yeah, uh, so let, let's talk about that. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, there was also the Rosneft deal. Exactly. Let's, let's talk about how that happened. So they had actually agreed to acquire, I think it was like a 14, 14%. 14% stake in this Russian petrogiant, Rosneft, uh, which if I think, if I remember correctly, that was like the same stake that Reuters had reported that might have gone to Trump. Uh, I think they, people were talking about that same $9, $9 billion price tag. There was some mystery around that, but it turns out that the buyer was actually this, unnamed, the unnamed buyer was this Chinese company. Uh, CEFC. Yes. Uh, so what has happened to that deal now that EA is uh, temporarily out of the picture? So there there seems to be a direct connection to this JNT story because this uh, half a billion euros uh, supposedly was meant, you know, that's... Um, for that acquisition. For that acquisition. And that might have been crucial in how the deal was structured. So um, uh, we haven't seen what contract exactly JNT had with CEFC. But many people here suspect that it was, you know, the, the half a billion euros was meant for for the Rosneft deal. And when that fell through, JNT demanded to be paid back uh, before the original period. And uh, CFC was not able to do that. And moreover, JNT took steps to actually prevent it uh, from doing it, even if they were able to. And finally, they just took CFC... On the night of May 18th. Right. They just took CFC Europe over, or or so it seems right now. Though they took over, anyway, the CEFC Europe portion that was held by CEFC China. Right. 51%. Yes. And they ousted the board, including this guy, Tivtik. Exactly. So this uh, this guy, Tivtik, he has had a very rocky career even before coming into this um, China story. You know, he's been up and down so many times, and it seems that everything that he touches uh, eventually uh, goes down to ruin, you know. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so now what, what's going to happen? I mean, he had, I, I remember I read a, 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 something just yesterday that he had insisted, no, you wait until Friday, 2 p.m., that would be, you know, the, the following day at 2 p.m., uh, and that they would be fully paid the, the close to, what, half a billion euros 
uh, did that not happen? That was not transferred, or what, what's the current situation? Well, it's confusing because because different people have different stories. So JNT has a different story from Tvrdík's story. So Tvrdík says that they were perfectly because th- this this debt was actually supposed to be to, to be paid back by Citic, right? Uh, so he said that the money has arrived. It sits on a bank account somewhere here in Prague. It was ready by the deadline uh, to be paid over. But according to his story, JNT didn't quite wait for the deadline and uh, sacked uh, the management of the company uh, and simultaneously prevented it from actually repaying the debt back, you know, because there's nobody, nobody there to pay, to pay it back. So uh, it seems, if, if he's right, and we don't know because uh, JNT says exactly the opposite, but according to Tvrdík's story, uh, JNT essentially pre- preempted Tvrdík from paying back and used that as an as an excuse to take over the company. So is that true? I don't know. So this whole debacle has been a, a serious embarrassment to Beijing. Is is evident by the fact that they've they've detained Ye. It's been a disaster, presumably for Zeman. Uh, it, it's probably blown up a lot of of, of political capital that I think he thought he had. What happens to him now? What happens to Czech Chinese relations going forward now. Well, that's a that's a big big question. The you know President Zeman has has uh, just won re-election, and luckily for him, that happened before uh, you know things went really bad with uh, with uh, CFC. But uh, I, I don't I don't know whether that would have affected the presidential elections, even if it happened before then. So he's safely in his office. It's almost uh, you know like the Czech president, according to the constitution, uh, basically is unimpeachable, you know, so uh, he's, he's probably pretty safe in his position in, in his age, This his, and also according to the constitution, this is his last tenure. So uh, he can pretty much do whatever he wants to do, and I think he will be quite happy to prevent, to, to pretend that everything goes smoothly, you know, and that was that has been his story, that uh, this was just a failure of one individual, Mr. Ye Tianming. That the gentleman has been put away by uh, Chinese authorities. Citic is taking over CEFC. Citic is even more reliable and richer investor than CEFC was. So, uh, you know, everything is back on track. Business as usual, even more beautiful. And there will be even more investment coming to the Czech Republic. So if I am Zeman right now, what I would want to do, of course, is to get JNT to back off, to allow... Citic to actually exercise effective control to push to the to, to permanently out of the picture. He's been removed as vice chairman of, of the board already, but um, to make sure uh, that he continues to have to foster good relations with the Citic representatives who who own CEFC now. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You would expect, you know. So the this has, has, has he said anything yet? Has Zeman's office issued any statement? No, on, on he this? he refuses to comment, even though he's heavily involved in all of this. So, for instance, when Citic comes to town, they you know the first place they go is the presidential office. So he's really directly and personally involved in all this, but he refused to comment. It's it's a little confusing the 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 JNT detour because it doesn't make sense, right? Right at, at first sight, like the otherwise. It was quite clear what was going to happen, right? It's like Citic would take over, uh, you know, uh, the, this this monkey business that Ye Tianming had been doing before that would be over. There will be an uh, an institutional investor who actually has some experience with investing, a long experience, right? It's an, it's a it's a well established company, and it's also a very resourceful company. So they they could even possibly do some real investment. Uh, you know, in the future, but this this JNT move uh, suddenly complicates things, and it's the more surprising that the JNT actually has ambitions themselves to enter the Chinese market. They have been in, um, you know, they've been trying to establish this cooperation with uh, Pingan um, mm-hmm. uh, insurance insurance. insurance company, and it seems that they would they would like to enter the Chinese market, the, the insurance mar- market, uh, in a similar manner that uh, another Czech company, the PPF, had previously entered. Uh, the retail finance, the consumer loans. Right. So PPF was doing loans for, for example, for uh, smartphones and for yes. you know, motorcycles or consumer, you know, com- consumer five hundred dollar. And they're doing very well. It's a huge business. You know, they're, it's hugely profitable. Uh, they were able to get in. Uh, they had some sort of connection either to Zeman's office or to. That was actually the original mover of this turnaround in the Czech-China relationship. They, uh, you know, they've. they've it, this is the richest. Czech company run by the richest Czech person. 
uh, they've always had this outside influence uh, here in the Czech Republic. And, you know, they wanted their license in China. And um, they were told, essentially, that for that to happen, the relationship would have to improve. So they started working on it. And they, uh, they succeeded. And uh, they got their national license for uh, retail finance in China the very year that the Czech policy towards China has officially changed. So not by coincidence. Yeah. It's hard not to see, right. you know, a, a, a relation there. Clearly. So let's, let's move back to China and talk about what the fate of CEFC in China will be now. We're already seeing that they've had a lot of difficulties. That, uh, trading has been frozen on their Anhui uh, operation. Uh, we've seen their, their, their stock price drop precipitously. We've seen them kind of dismembered. There's a, a Shanghai municipal government holding company uh, called Guosheng, I think it's called, Shanghai right. Guosheng, which has actually taken over a significant piece of their operation. We see now Citic taking having half of their of their Europe operation. What's left of this rump company, and will it continue even to function at all, or is it going to be completely dismembered? You know, under normal circumstances, uh, my guess would be that it would just be dismembered. And that would be probably the most logical thing for Citic to do, right? To right. Co- consolidate the, the company by essentially selling off all the all these random assets, which, mm-hmm. which is exactly what they've been doing in places like Hong Kong or even the United States. That's uh, right. But not here. Here, uh, you know, apart from the sheer economic aspects, you also have the political dimension, right? So they cannot simply, uh, you know, do away with CFC and sell their assets because it would uh, directly hit the, you know, those politicians that uh, have essentially been uh, their allies. So here it has to be different. And they already announced that they would keep all the acquisitions. They would not sell them off even like the, the more random ones like the, the brewery. So the story of CFC is actually complicated by the fact that they have been politically very successful in the Czech Republic. Let's talk about what this means for other countries. Is the Czech case sui generis? Is it completely different from, from any other case because of the, you know, the particular political orientation of this president, uh, because of its relatively small size, because of its central location, because CEFC decided to make it the, the base of its own operations in Europe? Or is this something that I think other countries can draw lessons from as China looks to expand its footprint through Belt and Road or through through the initiatives of individual companies? This is actually a crucial question, the crucial question, I think. So, uh, you know, is, 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 is it really isolated? Is it random? Or is it uh, like one modality of something that is actually happening globally, right? And that's uh, that will reflect directly on the on on not only on the CFC and on their future but on the on the belt and road initiative um so it, this is a very consequential question and uh, you know the fact that uh, it was not just the Czech republic the you know CFC has been active globally their troubles actually span the globe you know so they're they they have um, they, they are accused of this bribery uh, behavior corrupt behavior in um, in Africa, they uh, there is a process against them in the United States. They are in trouble in the Czech Republic, but they're also in trouble in China, right? So it's it's a it's like a huge <laughs> global thing, and be- because the story is so strange and on occasion reads like a novel almost, it got a lot of media attention, especially in the anglophone uh, world, and many of these media actually do present this story as being representative of uh, at least the Belt and Road, if not uh, like China foreign policy in general, right? This is, this is, this is the basis of the huge embarrassment that uh, Yi Jianming and CFC has caused to Beijing. And I think this is also one of the reasons why the gentleman is not coming back anytime soon. Right. So, uh, so your sense is that it, it, do you think, I mean, I'm asking you personally, do you think that this is in some sense re- representative? I think in some sense, definitely. The, the, the company itself is associated with the Belt and Road Initiative on uh, a number of occasions. Uh, Patrick Haw, who got arrested in New York, has spent his uh, time since uh, joining the nonprofit arm of CFC mostly by promoting the Belt and Road Initiative. He wrote these beautiful pieces for South China Morning Post and other media about how the Belt and Road is uh, a, a new, more equitable form of globalization. 
you know, just before he was arrested, TFC, together with uh, Futan University, set up this new institute for Belt and Road and Global Governance in uh, Shanghai. Uh, Ye Tianming also has become the advisor uh, to uh, Regina Ip, you mm-hmm. know, the, mm-hmm. the Hong Kong politician, uh, um, the, the leader of the Sinmintang, the, the new, new People's Party. And uh, when she was asked about this by the local media, she said explicitly that he was recommended to her by uh, her, her mainland friend as a specialist on, on the Belt and Road. So there's this, uh, you know, at least uh, notional connection between the company and Belt, Belt and Road. So this is the, the potential for embarrassing the whole initiative is, is rather big. The other question is, to what extent will Beijing learn from this and try to uh, steer clear of... of uh, potential embarrassments of this of this size of this magnitude. Absolutely, and I think uh, you know the Czech Republic is actually very representative of this issue because this is what we have seen of of the Belt and Road and the sixteen plus one and uh, you know um, the, the 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 rising China the the CFC. This is what we get. CFC was so dominant here that in most people's mind, it sort of you know represents the whole relationship with China. So so. The demise of CFC is is actually very damaging to to China's standing in in, in this country. Well, Martin, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to chat. Uh, let's move on to recommendations. Uh, but before we do that, I do want to remind our listeners that the Seneca Podcast is powered by SubChina. If you haven't visited us lately at SubChina, you will be delighted to see how much our original reporting has expanded and what a wide variety of writing we now feature. I also want to remind our listeners of the other shows in our growing network of podcasts. Uh, there's the weekly Caixi and Seneca Business Brief. Uh, the GGV 996 podcast, which is all about tech investing and entrepreneurship in China, uh, cross-border, with uh, very in-depth interviews with just a who's who of leaders in, in the China tech world. Uh, and then we have the Pan Daily Tech Buzz podcast, our newest member, which is a brief roundup with analysis of big stories in the week's tech news. Uh, so check them out and let us move on to recommendations. Martin, um, what do you have for us this week? Well, I would really like to recommend and bring people's attention to this fabulous article on the topic we discussed today, the CFC, by a Chinese journalist um, uh, named Qi uh, Tianqin, uh, uh, written for Caixin. It's a very long report on uh, CFC's background and their business practices. Uh, it's a the one that's no longer available. <laughs> exactly. It was, it was taken down very quickly, but there's a, thanks to Andrew Chapp, there's a, there is a there is an English uh, translation very well done too. So it's uh, it's on his blog, the South Sea South Conversations. Sea Conversation. So uh, if you're interested in this story, please do check it out because this Chinese journal- journalist, uh, you know, in conditions that are admittedly quite difficult, did a marvelous job in digging stuff out. Leave yourself a whole afternoon to read this. Though. I mean, it's a very long, very detailed piece. Uh, I I love that piece. I mean, but it there are parts where it gets so bogged down in the details of these holding companies and, and the transfers and this whole, like you said, you know, sort of shell game or this Ponzi scheme of moving money around. It's not for the, for the faint heart. No, not for the faint of heart. Uh, but I think the color that she puts in, in the actual interviews that she does with, with Chairman Ye, that's fascinating. I mean, she captures, you know, his, his whole just smarminess and his slipperiness and his... We, uh, it's the weirdness of this man and of this company really get come through in this piece. It also gives you an idea, you know, that uh, despite of what we hear all the time, there are people in the Chinese media who do excellent job. Oh, of course. I mean, uh, this is just outstanding. Uh, but of course, it was it was eventually censored. Unfortunately, it wasn't censored even. You know, and uh, she probably she probably knew it. It might end up that way, but she still took the trouble to write it, you know, so that's that's the attitude that deserves some, um, you know, praise, I yeah. think. So her name is Ji Tianqin and uh, ha- has written quite a quite a number of very powerful, hard-hitting uh, investigative reports. Great, great recommendation. I, I second that, absolutely. I, I want to recommend a couple of, of articles um, that aren't related to China, but I actually, I think both of them have some, they, they touch in some way, I think, for or me, I connect everything to China somehow. But uh, the first is from The Atlantic. Uh, it's by Matthew Stewart. It's called The 9.9% is the New American Aristocracy. And it's 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 basically about the ways in which, you know, the Amer- American sort of meritocratic new upper middle class 
is perpetuating awful inequalities in the U.S. Basically, it's an indictment of people like 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 me and and most of my American friends. You know, people who went to good schools and and you know live in nice neighborhoods and and uh, you know fret too much about their kids. Uh, and you know, enjoy the mortgage interest deduction. And anyway, it's um, it's very interesting. It's getting talked about an awful lot. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but it's it's bracing and it's provocative, and it's going to be the subject of many conversations that you have when you are standing on the sidelines of some you know of your kids' soccer games and watching, or you know, having that coffee or that beer when you go to pick up your kids from a play date at, at their friends parents house uh so definitely read it uh another piece i want to recommend actually martin i sent this to you the other day so i hope you get a chance to read it uh it's in the magazine the american interest um the american interest for those of you who don't know it 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 spun out of the neocon magazine the national interest uh, it was when sort of francis fukuyama defected from that and he took a lot of the editorial people with him so uh it's it's a it's a sort of uh, lapsed neocon kind of a neocon uh, light, yeah, neocon light, but no, it's more like lapsed. I mean, they they repudiate a lot of what was in in neocon. Uh, anyway, this article is by a writer named Damir Marusic, who uh, from his surname you can tell is is from the Balkans. It, it's called the dangers of democratic determinism. Uh, I think anyone who is trying to make sense, as I have been, of the rise of of, of nationalist populism. And ethno-nationalism, more generally, and all the various things that you know plague our world today, uh, would be very much edified by reading this piece. It touches on a lot of themes that I've I've talked about on on this podcast, and uh, for those of you you know who I'm friends with, you know, in conversations constantly. So, um, yeah, read it. It's it's a great piece, and I think you only get one free unfirewalled piece uh, with them. So spend it on this. <laughs> Martin, I thanks. will. Yeah, no. Uh, well, once again, thank you so much for having me in Prague this week. Uh, it's been really delightful meeting, uh, you know, with all these these colleagues of yours and crossing swords with them. I mean, we've <laughs> had our fair share of pretty emotional arguments. Right, right. There are some some of these issues get um, emotional, I suppose. But, yeah, yeah. Okay. But it was all in good spirit. Yeah, no, very much so, very much so. I've enjoyed it, like I said. So thank you very much for hosting me. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, yeah, no, anytime. The Cynical Podcast is powered by SubChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Jeremy Goldcorn. Drop us an email at Seneca at SubChina.com. Follow us on Twitter or on Facebook at, at SubChina News. And don't forget to leave us a positive review on iTunes or wherever you go for your podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next week. Take care.